Hey, what are the current tax rates on long-term capital gains and qualified dividends? How much of your social security is subject to taxation? For that matter, which tax bracket are you in now? All of this important information is available in a handy guide that you can download free from yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Just click special offer. Have all the 2018 key financial data on taxes, retirement plan contribution limits, Medicare, Social Security, and more right at your fingertips. Just click special offer at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download it free. We are trying to pay off $1 million in student loan debt during the month of March. I put everything you can possibly do in one place that's easy to digest, but then you also need inspiration. Like no one wants to just learn what to do. You need to kick in the pants to get going on it. So we have some giveaways. We have some challenges. We have a leaderboard where people are sharing how much they paid off and we're ranking it to just motivate people to take action on their loans. That's Robert Farrington from thecollegeinvestor.com talking about his goal of helping people eliminate a million bucks in student loan debt in the month of March. Join the movement, ditch your debt, and win prizes. Plus, Americans have reached record-breaking net worth. But which Americans? And four ways you might be attracting a tax audit without knowing it. Now, here are the 2018 CFO of the Year for a medium privately held company as chosen by the San Diego Business Journal, Big Al Clopine CPA, and that one CFP guy, Joe Anderson. Big Al Clopine. CFO of the year. What what did you get? The yeah. national the uh, San Diego San Diego <laughs> Business Journal CFO of the year. Uh, there's six categories, and uh, our company, Pure Financial, was in the medium-sized privately held companies. And I, for whatever reason, was chosen as rigged Chief, Chief Financial <laughs> Officer of the Year. Rigged. rigged. <laughs> Well, and, congratulations. Uh, we've done stuff with the San Diego Business Journal before. We've been on the fastest growing companies list. And typically when you're right at the top, you know beforehand because they come out to your office and do videos. Take and, pictures of you. Yeah. So anyway, none of that. So I told, uh, I told you and some others, yeah, I've got less than 1% chance. And sure enough, uh, I won. There was about three or 400 people there. I had to go up and give a speech, which I, I had nothing, <laughs> but I did. I, I did move my lips, and words came out for about 30, 40 seconds. There you go. So I got something out. All right. Anyway, mainly thanked everybody. Well, I thank you, Alan. <laughs> I thank you for being Anyway, that was quite an honor. I got to say, that was unexpected. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Congratulations. Thanks. Hey, I don't know. Did you read this in the Wall Street Journal? Americans' uh, wealth pushed further in record territory uh, in the final quarter of last year, hitting 100 Trillion, hundred trillion. Thanks uh, to the rising stock market and property prices. Right. So household net worth, the value of all assets such as stocks and real estate, minus liabilities. Now this is net worth. Yes. uh, Like mortgages and credit card debt, rose more than two trillion last quarter to a record ninety-eight point seven six trillion dollars. Wow. Okay. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yes. But if you dive into the numbers, you know. Who do you think is reaping most of those rewards? Ah, uh, the top one percent, the, the wealthy. In <laughs> well, fact, yeah, like the CFO, the, of the, CF, the certainly <laughs> the CFO of the year in San Diego is doing well. I think I don't know, but um, that's a there's a rumor there. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! So but, I started diving in a little bit deeper here, and I wanted to look at some stats of what's going on last year. Okay, you know it's interesting to me. It might be boring, uh, but what the hell, right? Well, for me, CFO, numbers guy. Like, okay. I'm all ears, Joe. Well, I, there's a couple of different categories. Let's dive in. So this was um, some studies that was uh, that was uh, looked at last year in healthcare. Let's start there. Okay. 
So a study at Bankrate uh, found that one quarter of Americans skipped necessary medical care cost uh, due to the cost of the care. So they're not getting the proper care that they need because it's too expensive. What about that $98 trillion? I, I don't know. They're not, not using that. <laughs> Another study by Transamerica Center of Retirement Studies. We had uh, the CF, CEO on. Um, from, we sure did. From yeah. that's, uh, that, that company. Uh, they found that 40% of people globally who retired sooner than planned was due to poor health. Oh, there you go. So you can't afford to get a doctor. Right. And so but you got to retire Yeah, because you're broke and you can't afford a doctor, so let alone how are you going to retire? Vicious cycle, right? So what's the moral? Get your medical treatments that you need? Well, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Right? Take care of yourself. Yes. Exercise. I... Get your sleep. Eat well. Oh. So then they started looking at retirement, okay? And so let's look at retirement income. So they found that to make your portfolio last, so they do all sorts of different studies, right? What do you yeah. think the number one uh, reason why people don't necessarily have the assets that they should have? It should be lack of savings, right? Yeah, lack of savings. Well, because their expenses are too high. Exactly. It's the always. I mean, I get it. You want to have low cost investments. Yeah, we've talked about that a trillion times. Sure. So this. But if, study, but if you don't save, it doesn't matter. But yeah, if you don't save, it whether, doesn't matter whether your expenses are. Quarter of a point or two points. So they found uh, that reducing portfolio expenses from 2% to 1% increases the amount available for withdrawal from a million-dollar portfolio by more than $20,000 for the next 25 years. Okay. So an additional $20,000 for 25 years. Right. So if you reduce your expenses by 1%. But I guarantee you it doesn't have to do with expenses. It has to do with lack of savings. And then also, I think the more important moral here is behavior. Yeah. Well, it always comes down to that. So if you, I pay, uh, we've had this argument before, right? Uh, Let's say I pay 2% and you pay 1%. And if I'm educated on how markets work, and you're getting in and out, little nervous Nelly, who's going to have more money at the end of the day? You are, of course. I mean, see, to me, I don't think we have an argument on that. I'm, I'm, I'm saying if you have... Two equal investors with equal competence that have the same style of investing, the one with lower fees is going to do better. Yes, of course. Right. That's what I'm saying. Uh, No, and I agree with you a thousand percent. But but what I say is that the most important thing? No, the most important thing is savings. It always comes down to that. So they found that 47% of U.S. workers reported having less than $25,000 in retirement savings. Right. 47% 47% of U.S. workers right. have less than $25,000. Right. That, uh, that's excluding equity uh, in their home. And 24% have less than $1,000 saved. 24%. So about a quarter of the people basically have nothing. Only 20% of workers have $250,000 or more saved. Okay. And 41% of workers um, or their spouses have done a retirement savings calculation. Got it. Okay. I guarantee you it's not even close to 41%. Right. Because if they've done a retirement calculation, they probably have a little bit more. Oh, I don't know. Well, maybe. But yeah, I got, I got also have a study from bankrate.com. And they, t- they ask people how much of their annual income are, their, are they saving. And 19% of the people said zero. And then 21% said 5% or less. So we got about 40% saving 5% or less. And 25% between 6 and 10%. 11 to 15 percent, 11 percent, and more than 15 percent is 16 percent. But Joe, 
we see these numbers and, and these studies, they go out, how much are you saving? And people just give numbers. Right. And then we see their bank accounts. <laughs> right? And, and the stats that you just said, what, almost half the people in the country have less than 25000 right? But here's another problem that I see, is that if you look at savings habits, right, 2008, all right, so they looked at how many people, what percentage of people have a savings plan with a goal? 2008. Remember 2008. Pretty miserable time. You bet. 62% in 2008, right, bear down and had a plan. Okay. What do you think that is in 2017? Higher or lower? I'm going to say lower. Yeah, it's 46%. Yeah. So, and even though we're doing better. Right. And, and, be, and the reason is because we're doing better. Your property course. values. You don't, never, even, you don't even think about yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, I don't have to save anymore you know, when, because when, the markets are going to continue to climb. And I mean, we're running into the same thing that that we did back in you know I, I remember, the early 2000s. Joe, I remember thinking during the Great Recession, which, by the way, was an awful time financially. But one of the not good things about the Great Recession, I felt like, was it, it woke up my generation, the baby boomers, uh, con- consumption, spending, spending, spending. It's like, all right, we can't do this. And I, I actually think that turned out to be a pretty healthy thing. Now, a lot of people are going into their old habits. It lasted a year. Yeah, or two. <laughs> right. It lasted a year. Oh, boy. But, you know, and, and I found this interesting. All right, let's say you got a million bucks. Yeah. You like to look at states, right? What's the best state uh, yeah, to retire sure. in? What's the worst state yeah, to retire in? Yeah, the happiest in? state we know is South Dakota. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's where I'm going. That's, we already, we, we got to go over and get some property. Oh, I just build met, our cabin. Yes, I just met um, a, a nice couple that they bought some land in South Dakota. It yeah. It's kind of ironic. Yeah. All right, so if if you have a million dollars, right, and you're looking to create some income, Right. Um, then they looked at how long will that million dollar last? Okay. All right. Sure. By state. By state. Yeah, I've seen that. Right. Yeah. What, well, what do you think is the number one state? South this, Dakota. No, it's close. It's Mississippi. Mississippi. Yeah. Really? Okay. So if you want, if you got a million bucks, your million dollars will last you twenty six years and four months. Okay. Um, and I'm not sure how much money that they're spending. They didn't say, but it, let's say they're spending the equal the, amount of the, money. The average, yeah. Wh- California, yeah, whatever that is. That's near the bottom. It is 16 years and five months. Yeah, right. So lesson here is you're moving Move to Mississippi. To Mississippi. You're moving to Mississippi. Get the, get I like Mississippi. Nice, Have you ever nice. been to Mississippi? Uh, no, but I just went to Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah, New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, you, you sure did. Yeah. And then your favorite state, Hawaii. Yes, it's that's pretty the last. It's the last one. Yeah, 11 years and 11 months. So that's my plan to retire to Hawaii. So I've only got 11 years to for this to work. Right. So yeah. you got to get your million bucks got it. and yeah. wait until you're about 80. <laughs> and then go. Oh, you're assuming I got to live to 91. Well, I don't know. That's probably yeah. normal life expectancy. But for you, it's probably 101. Well, if I keep up my workout <laughs> regimen and my, my good diet. Uh, well, you look like you're 41. Well, thank you. you Except it. for my neck. I got my neck. Oh, my goodness. All right, we got <laughs> Oh, this just got weird. Man, no kidding. For some actual useful information, visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com to access white papers, articles, webinars, and hundreds of video clips on important stuff like tax planning, investing, retirement planning, social security, estate planning, and small business strategies. Pretty much anything you need to know about your money is right there in the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. And with any luck, no talk of saggy necks to be found. 
Now, student loan debt is a huge problem in this country. We are now holding over $1.5 trillion of it. And according to the Federal Reserve, over $400 billion of that is held by people over the age of 40. Let's learn some ways to get rid of it. We have a live guest. We do. This is a first. They actually are going to see the nonsense that we... <laughs> I, I know. It's like, are you sure you want to have them live? Because it's so much better and when I, they don't see and us. And I heard they're going to put this on Facebook. Facebook Do we live. really want that? I don't think it's so. It's going viral. It's, it, it is. We're going to get seven views <laughs> for you and I, but we got Robert Ferryton with us. We do. Hey, what's up, guys? How's it going, buddy? It's going great. I'm glad to be here. My in studio. In studio. <laughs> this is, this, this is guy's great. a legend. He is. And I don't know what we paid him, but this is probably I, the low light of his career <laughs> right now. Well, he, he, has, he had about 20 other engagements, and for some reason, he agreed to do ours. So he's the founder of the College Investor. Tell us, what, what is the college investor? How'd you get started? What Tell us your story. Just like it sounds, man. I got started in college sitting in the back row of my class because I was bored. I was that guy with the laptop open and I was just browsing the internet and I'm like, I can start a blog and share my thoughts on investing. And that is how I started it. But since then, we have uh, skipped all that and we are all about getting out of student loan debt to start investing and building wealth for the future as early as possible. So you were getting your MBA and you thought, you know what? I'm passionate about investing. Yep. And it's like, that's what your life's passion was going to be. And you started blogging and getting out there and your friend said, well, that's cool, but I got all this debt before. And, and so you're thinking, well, maybe I should get into college debt. No, that's exactly what happened. I had no intention about writing about student loans. I want to talk about earning money, investing, making money in the stock market, like fun stuff to me. But people were like, dude, like I want to get out of debt. I sounds great. And then I started sharing a little about my story. I had some student loans as well, and I had to deal with a battle with my loan servicer. And so like people were like, yeah, I like this stuff. So I started writing more about it. And then I started learning about about other people's debt problems and how this really is uh, a big challenge that we're facing. And so I kind of combine the two because I think you can get that financial balance. I think getting out of student loans and investing can go hand in hand. And uh, I think it's super important that you do. Well, and I think one of the first steps is when you have a big lump of student debt, it's to is to start coming up with a plan, start tackling it, maybe even pay extra principal. Yeah, absolutely. I think start getting organized and getting that plan is definitely where to start. I'm so surprised how people just, just need to get that organization down because it's not easy. By the time you're done with college, you could have five, six, seven different loans at different loan servicers with different places. And then you probably move like none of us lived where we lived in freshman year. So whatever address you put down, you might not be getting your statements. Like you do got to do a little organization and planning to even get started with this. So so now that let's say I get organized. Yep. Now what? what? What are some of the key things? But to- the problem is here now is that one in 10 students they're at least 90 days behind their payments. Yeah. Right? Right. One in 10. Totally. And that's where that organization starts. About 5% of uh, borrowers owe more than $100,000. Yeah. I mean, you and I, you know what the problem is, Al? You just have to fund everyone's college. <laughs> I just paid for it. Because yep. I, I got that. I'm, that's a sore I'm, subject I'm, with Big Al one time. We, he, we got a little hot because. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and you who have no kids have no idea what I'm talking about. So, someday when you're but, 70 and have a four-year-old, you'll know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the student loan debt is mounting, right? It's it's mounting. It passed $1.5 trillion this week. Outstanding. $1.5 oh. In wow. the United States. 
Isn't that crazy? It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty scary if you if you dive into the numbers. Right, exactly. And I mean, the average debt keeps going up. It's like it was like 36 last year. I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to be pushing 40 when we get the numbers this summer about how much the average graduate is having in student loans. I mean, that's a ton of money. Yeah, then they, they interviewed the students, right, afterwards. Yeah. And they were like, okay, well, now you have all this debt. Right. Would you made a different choice? Mm-hmm. And most of them said, yes, probably. Totally. You know, because, this- hey, I picked this really cool school, but it was super expensive. And then getting the loans is fairly easy. Oh my gosh, when I got my student loans, you get this email from the financial aid office, right? Like in May, June, and it's like, congratulations, here's your financial aid award package. You click a link, no one reads the terms and conditions, you scroll through it all, you hit I accept, boom, you have 20,000 bucks in student loans. It's like, oh my gosh, like it's just ridiculous. So so why don't we we talk about maybe right off the bat, looking at a return on investment or ROI before you even get into college. And that's what I advocate. I think it's huge to have an ROI on your investment of education, just like you would with any else. I don't want to dismiss anyone from their career goals. If you want to be a teacher, that's great. But realize that you might only be making $35,000, $40,000 a year after you graduate. So you should take a loan that is reflective of that. I kind of recommend only borrowing what you expect to make in your first year after graduation. And there's so many tools out there now that you can figure out what salaries are nationwide. It's nothing's hidden. If you want to work in the state of California, every salary is posted on the internet. So like you can find this stuff out and know, and then you can be responsible responsible when you borrow. So what about, I'll, I'll go personal experience, both my kids in college, not sure what they want yeah, to do. Yeah, I was just going to say yeah. that because I, I went to University of Florida mm-hmm. and then I got student loans. And then I think I went to Key West about seven times with my student loans. And, right? yeah. <laughs> and, and then it's like, stuff. well, what the hell do I want to do with my life? You know? Yeah, and I think that for me, college isn't the time to find yourself. Like, I think we have done this uh, disservice to our youth where we're saying everyone has to go to college and then you'll figure it out as you go. Well, it's too darn expensive to be figuring it out as yeah, you go. Nowadays, right? Yeah. Like, honestly, I don't think it's a bad thing if you want to go work. I think you should work in high school, see some things in the world, kind of learn about yourself a little bit and see what you want to do. When I went to college, I thought I wanted to be a computer programmer. I started doing that. I was in the basement over here at UCSD, and I was like, this sucks. I do not want to program for the rest of my life. And I changed my majors, but you know, I took a couple classes during summer so that I still graduated on time because it is expensive, and you don't want to be going through this to decide that that's not right for you. Right. Or find your social circles. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Your your future wife. Like there's community college. There's so many different things right. that you can do to help better yourself and uh, save money as you go. But do you think there's a stigma with that? Let's say, hey, all my buddies, you know, they're going to USC, they're going to UCLA, right? But uh, I'm going to go to Cuyamaca College for a couple Dude, of years. There's a huge stigma with it, but you're seeing that stigma when you're 18, but there's also a huge stigma when you're 25 and you can't afford your student loans exactly. and <laughs> you're, 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 you're hating life. Right. So, like, <laughs> that's, that's true. It, it, it's it really, delayed gratification again. It's so delayed and it's hard because when you're 18, it's probably harder to deal with that challenge of going to Cuyamaca versus when you're 25 and you're living on ramen still when you think that you should be having this great career and you can't afford anything. Right. So, yeah. so now I want to go back to, so the person that already has the student debt yeah. and, and so they've got debt more than their first year because mm-hmm. they didn't really know. That's a great rule, by the way. Yeah. But 
so it's too late for them. Sure. It's too late Sadly, for a lot of yeah. people. Uh-huh. So, so now what? How? What are some strategies that you might recommend to, to start working on this? Yeah, after getting organized, it's getting a repayment plan that works for you. So when you get your statement in the mail, you default into the 10-year standard repayment plan, which is the most expensive repayment plan. There are a lot of great income-driven repayment plans that you can get your loans capped at 10 to 15% of your discretionary income, which is a great deal. And if you don't make a lot of money, like say you're unemployed, your payment could legally be $0 per month. And that's a legit payment that counts for your student loans. And, and that's, of course, federal loans. That's you you federal could, couldn't loan. do that with a private loan. You can't do it with a private loan. And that's the challenge. So, you know, typically if you have private loans, which should be the last resort, you should always borrow federal first. You know, you could look at refinancing. You might need a co-signer. And you're probably just going to have to earn more to get through that. And that's one of the things I do advocate side hustling. Or you're going to have to work with the parent or the co-signer to help through that debt. Like, what, now, what about so you, the 10-year loan? There's a forgiveness piece of that? Is that right? There are over 80 different forgiveness programs in the United States, but public service loan forgiveness is the quote unquote best one. Um, And it's a 10 year, 120 payments. So you can actually take some gaps there. It doesn't have to be, you know. Is that payment based upon your income or is that on something else? It is. So to qualify for public service loan forgiveness, you have to have an income driven repayment plan as your repayment plan. You have to have direct loans and you have to work in public service. Um, And public service though is a hugely broad definition. You could be a teacher, you could be a fire fighter. You could work in federal, state, local government. You could work in public health. Like there are so many jobs and you can work in any career in those things. So you could be literally a maintenance man at a college or a school and you'd still get the same kind of public service loan forgiveness that a teacher or administrator would get. So does that mean you you make the 120 payments in accordance with your payment schedule? And then if there's still a balance, it goes away? Goes away tax-free, which is why it's one of the best programs. How many people do you think know that? Sadly, not enough. Right. So the government's first wave was October 2017, the first people that could qualify for it. And there was 564 people that qualified for it. Oh, is that right? (laughs) That is it. Because not a lot of people were submitting payments and doing all the certifications and stuff. Now, that number is growing exponentially now as the program is rolling out. But there is still not a lot of people. They estimate that almost 50% of borrowers qualify for some type of program. Maybe not total loan forgiveness or something, but too few people are taking advantage of free money. 80 different loan forgiveness programs? There is. So you have the ones that are based on your repayment plan. You have public service loan forgiveness. Then there's a lot of what's called repayment assistance programs. Now, these are programs that might not pay your full balance, but they might give you $10,000 or $25,000 to your loans, and that's phenomenal too. And those are usually based on your state, what type of career you're in, um, and a bunch of different factors. The military has different types of plans, um, different nonprofits, different things like that. They offer these types of plans. Right. Wow. Even employers, private employers now are jumping on board. Stick around. Robert's got some carrots to help you pay down your own student loan debt in just a minute. In the meantime, how exactly does a couple save 85000 bucks a year? And how can you do it, too? Jamila Souffrant shares her journey to lunch with us next time on Your Money, Your Wealth. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com so you don't miss a minute. While you're there, catch up on the 10 Commandments of Retirement and sign up for our podcast newsletter. If you're too busy to listen or if you just prefer to read your podcasts, transcripts are available, too. Check it all out at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Well, what about parents that that, that are taking out loans? Oh, don't there... get me started on that. <laughs> well, I mean... No, no. I... Because, I mean, you see now that... Yeah. You know, they're. 
they're taking away some of their social security yeah. because of student loans. It's like, all right, well, here, let me forget about my own retirement. Let's put junior through college and I'm going to build up the loan. I mean, what, what can the they worst. do? So I personally advocate that I don't believe that parents should ever borrow for their kids' education. Um, you got to take care of your own. I don't have any kids. Well, yeah. but not even that. You have to take care of yourself first and you got to plan for your own retirement. You can't get a loan for retirement, right. you know, so your kids can get finance, they can work, they can get student loans, they can get scholarships. There's a lot of ways they can pay for school. That's not the case for when you retire. And so I see too many parents that take out these loans and can't afford it. And then there's really only two options. You're going to have to work together as a family unit to pay them back, or you're not going to do that. And your kids are going to have to take care of you as a family unit when you're trying to retire because you didn't address the loans up front. Um, there's not really another way around it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a tough thing. Cause as the, as the sole baby boomer representative in this, in this uh, studio, uh, our generation, by and large, our parents, we, we paid for a lot of our college because there yep. wasn't a lot of money. Sure. And so we thought, okay, we're going to make it easier on our kids. And in some ways, that's backfired. And, and right. that's a whole other discussion. But, <laughs> but that's why this happened. And this is the problem with that is now a lot of parents are in trouble with their own retirement. And, and that's the hard part because it's like you're either going to be a burden on your kids when it comes to paying for college and you have to have those tough conversations today. Or if you don't, you know, when you're trying to retire or when the money runs out. Out when you're 70, and then you're going to be having those conversations with your kids about why you're going to have to move in with them or how we're going to make arrangements to provide for your fam- your parents. Right. And that's the hard part. You know, when I was looking at schools, my parents would put pamphlets all over the place of Army, Navy, Air <laughs> yeah. Force, Marines. Here's how you, here's I, uh, how you my, get a I swear college. to God, yeah, yeah. I would go to my underwear, my boxer drawers, just like filled. What? I'd go in my bed. My mom put thousands of them in there. And you, you had a military family. Yeah. So. They were like, you are not going to college. You're going to the military. And guess what I did? <laughs> go to college. Go pound sand. I'm moving to Florida. <laughs> Taking out some student but loans. See, you, were, you were smart. So you took a year off to establish residency in Florida. So yes. you had in-state tuition. Yeah, worked at a... Uh, country club and right. bartended. Yeah, but you know what? I think also that 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 job experience gives you real world skills. So the other problem I see is the overeducated, underexperienced graduate. Right. So outside of the college investor, I was a store manager for Target for 16 years. Uh, I would see a lot of college graduates come to me, and they couldn't interview if their life depended on it. They've never had a job. They had no interpersonal communication skills. And so I'm also a huge advocate of working. Work in high school, work in college, take a year off and work, but you gotta do the work in order to understand customer service, to understand how to talk to somebody, right. to understand like business problem solving outside of the classroom. Education is great, but if you don't combine education with experience, you're also going to be at a huge disadvantage after you graduate. Yeah, I mean, life experience in so many ways is, I think, worth more you know, than a fancy, you know, college degree. Totally. And I think you see a lot of like the Silicon Valley CEOs and stuff. They're saying the same things these days. Like engineers are valuable and they're needed and you're always going to have that. But you also need these people that have soft skills, communication, problem solving, that they can go and sell something. Like if you don't have that, you're also not going to be successful. So I think for young adults and even parents that are trying to steer these young adults in the right way, like it's okay to accept kids that aren't going to go be engineers and don't need to go to a four-year college. Like, 
Like there are so many different skills that are needed and you can make huge salaries. Right. You can make huge salaries online. You can make huge salaries in trades and vocations. Like Mike Rowe does. Um, oh my gosh, yeah. You know, he's, I think there's a lack of information of, of how much a plumber actually makes. Well, and then he's like, <clears throat> these people that, there's not a lot of people becoming plumbers. And so there's also going to be- shortage. Yeah, yeah, and they're going to need to be owners of plumbing companies. And shoot, you go out East County or up in Carmel Valley and the owners of plumbing companies are the ones buying $2 million houses and set up for retirement. Right. So, yeah. you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone, they're still paying off their student loan. So you started a, a, you started a movement- so yep. tell us all about oh, this. Oh, yeah, the March movement. Oh, huh? yeah. Man, the, the gospel. All right. <laughs> We're well, here. Let's do this. We are trying. We are trying to pay off $1 million in student loan debt during the month of March. So, so how much, Al, are you going to put into this? I'm, it's all paid off. We're <laughs> done. It. We're done. So that's the goal. So we have over 2,500 people that have signed up that have committed to make progress on their student loans. And we're only at the halfway point of the month. And we've already cleared $400,000 in student loan debt that's been paid off. Um, and that's the goal is how much can we pay? My goal is a million, but I'm hoping right. to clear that. Sure. Um, and it's really excited to see the momentum that people are making around their student loans. So you're just saying, hey, let's get motivated here. Let's try to figure out what do we need to do. It, and so you're just kind of cheering them on to say, hey, you know what? There's It's not last hope. Let's just put it down on paper and then let's chip away at this thing. Yeah, through a combination of things. So I've learned that it requires education. Like we just talked about, there's so many different plans and options and things to do. It becomes overwhelming. So I put everything you can possibly do in one place. It's easy to digest. But then you also need inspiration. Like no one wants to just learn what to do. Right. You need to kick in the pants to get going on it. So we have some giveaways. We have some challenges. We have a leaderboard where people are sharing how much they paid off and we're ranking it um, to just motivate people to take action on their loans. And so, yes, there's the carrot there. We're dangling it out so people participate. But really, the end goal is to take action, pay off as much student loans as you possibly well, can. Well, I think that's right. I think at human nature, it's, it's so hard to get started it in is. anything. I can think of my college days. And I know that was a while ago, particularly <laughs> compared to you two guys. But I would write a term paper, and half of the term paper would be the first sentence. And then once I got that one... And maybe two since I was rolling. It was Just that first step. And that's that's why I think this is a great that's It is. And that and that's what I've learned is like I've been sharing this information online for almost 10 years now. And it's like I always wanted to see what actions people were taking. And I was trying to put together something that I could validate that, yes, people were paying off their loans. But I wanted that to be an inspiration to others because, yeah, some people want to participate for the giveaways. But other people like the challenge. They like to they like to everyone likes to dive in and see what other people are doing. Right. Competition is key. Competition too, right? and that little like voyeurism of seeing what other people are doing with their money like they like that and so that's why i want to put all that together in a nice challenge to uh you know really encourage people to pay off their loans you know and i i think too when you look at if you have a lot of student loans and it's like man i can't afford it you know i'd rather you know put my money elsewhere but if you start getting motivated yep. you know and then you're like you know what there's other people out there that have a ton of debt just like me and they're totally. doing it why can't i absolutely and then you're trying th then you'll figure it out and you're like okay now i got a side hustle i gotta figure out how do i make a little bit more money to, and then just throw money at it. Exactly right. I mean, first, like get on the best plan for you, but then how can you find extra things? So we're seeing a lot of different things right now. Some of the biggest achievers are using tax refunds to pay off their student loans. So a little extra money that they would have gotten right now. Um, some people were wor worked an extra day. They were side hustling. So every right. little bit helps and goes towards those loans. But other people are learning their options. Some people were refinancing their loans. They didn't know that was a thing that they could save a bunch of money. So it's cool to see the different combinations that people are putting together to hey, pay off their debt. Can you address that? Because there's debt consolidation yeah. and there's refinance 
thing and there's a lot of prey activities there yeah. too. I would yeah, what, what, what should people look out for? So if you have federal loans, student loan consolidation is putting all your federal loans into one loan. And it can be very helpful because like we said, you might have six or seven loans after you graduate and you're making all these different payments. Well, having it in one loan streamlines things. It can make it easier. And that's a free service. You can do that on studentloans.gov or by calling up your lender and asking for your loans to be consolidated. You don't need to pay a third-party company. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free. Student loan refinancing is taking out a private loan to replace your loans. It could be federal loans or other private loans. And just like refinancing your mortgage, it means getting a new loan that's probably a lower interest rate or maybe a different term, which could save you a lot of money on your student loan debt. But you want to be careful refinancing a, a federal loan into a private loan, right? Darn right you do. So it could make sense. We think it makes sense for about 10% of borrowers. So those are the ones that are making their standard payments and they're paying extra on their loans. Student loan refinancing can make sense to save the interest while you're making huge progress. But if you're on an income-driven plan or you're expecting to get loan forgiveness, don't refinance because now you've lost your federal loans. You've lost access to those programs. Um, so that's why it doesn't make sense for a lot of borrowers. A private lender is not going to forgive your debt. <laughs> a private which, lender without, is without not going to forgive your debt. No. <laughs> hey, where can someone go to get information? Go to the student studentloandebtmovement.com and you can find out all about this program and then studentloans.gov the government's website is phenomenal they have calculators they have everything you could ever want to know you don't need to trust me or any third party you can go find out for yourself talking <laughs> <laughs> to Robert Farrington folks thecollegeinvestor.com thecollegeinvestor.com check them out man now I wish I had some student loan debt of my own just so I could get involved with this movement so once you've paid off that albatross, it's time to focus on getting ready for retirement. How will you manage market volatility and risk? And what will be your sources of retirement income? If you're in Southern California, our two-day retirement courses and our free monthly lunch and learn events can give you the tools and confidence you need to help you plan for the retirement you've always dreamed of. For dates, times, and locations for our lunch and learn events and retirement classes in San Diego, Orange County, or Los Angeles, just visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture. In handy bullet point format. This week, four ways you might unknowingly increase your chance of a tax audit. You don't really want to have an audit on your tax return, do you? Not at all. Not particularly. Uh, and... Uh, as if filing taxes weren't stressful enough to, to get into the dreaded audit. I think that's one of, uh, one of people's uh, most feared things in life is to have an IRS audit. So I want to talk about a few ways to minimize your chance of being audited. I have a question first, because okay. if this happened um, and the person got audited, audited what would happen? So a um, hypothetical individual. Yourself? No. <laughs> okay. I'm not with. Okay. All right. All right. But do you know the question? No. You, you want to take a guess at what it is? I have, I'm all ears. All right. So uh, filed their taxes for 2017 recently. Okay. All right. <clears throat> and they owed $10,000 of additional state tax. Okay. They wrote the check to the Franchise Tax Board here in California, right, um, and paid their federal tax. But they wrote off 100% of their state tax on their tax return because they didn't know that they were supposed to 
pay, prepay that prior to the end of the year. Oh, they 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 wrote it. They paid it this year. So right, you know, hey, they April in, March fifteenth, whatever yeah, the, it yeah, is. They paid it in two thousand eighteen, but they deducted. it So let's say it was a thirty thousand dollars state tax bill. Okay. 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 So they had withholding, and they had this bonus or something like that, and it wasn't enough. Right. And then so they owed extra to the state of California. Yeah. Right. And so that extra was $10,000. So they wrote the check to the franchise tax board, 10,000 bucks, right? But on their tax return, they wrote off the full 40 because it was a 2017 tax liability. Yes. So you're, so the que- I, there's a couple questions. One is, is that okay? The answer is no, that's, that's not okay. You have to, you actually get to write off that in the year that you pay for the bill, which is why a lot of folks were prepaying their state tax liability in December. Now the question is, will that cause an audit? Probably not because that would mean in, in and of itself. Right, because that would mean that the um, the feds would have to be talking to the states, and they they do have communication, the feds and the states, but not typically on timing of payments. So I, I don't think that's going to cause an audit. But if they if that person is audited, that will be disallowed. Got it. So yeah, it turns out, Joe, that your, your chances of being audited are less than one percent. So so know that right off the bat, you've got a ninety nine percent chance of not being audited. That's why they call it the honor system. Right. But there it's are certain... Not many people... Some people are not very honorable. That's true. Many are. Some are not. But there are a few things that you can do to uh, increase your uh, likelihood that you won't be audited. Okay. Well, don't do something stupid and illegal. Yeah, that would be one. Uh, here's the... Here's the uh, this is a tax guide from uh, CNN Money, by the way. These are their suggestions, and I think they're pretty good. So the first one is rushing through your uh, taxes, uh, doing your taxes last minute. And, and a lot of times when that happens, Joe, it's, it's like there's just not enough time to gather the, your documents properly. And so you end up estimating and guessing, and a lot of times they're wrong. And it turns out the IRS... And in California, Franchise Tax Board, and in other states, they know quite a bit about you before you file the return in terms of your income for the year. They know your W-2. They know your wages. They know your interest income, dividends. They know what stock you sold. In many cases, they know what property, what real estate you sold. If you uh, have a side business or, or self-employed, they, they may know your 1099 income. Right? They know your mortgage statement, what you're paying in interest. They, they, if you have a partnership investment, they know what that looks like. And so they, they match these things. And a lot of times when you rush your return at the very end, you just, you, you don't, you don't have time to pick up everything or you make, you know, dumb mistakes. You put things on the wrong lines. You put your salary on the interest income line or whatever it may be. So I'm imagining this and I don't know, but all of that goes into a central computer because let's say if I get a 1099 from Vanguard. Right. right, and then I get my W two from Pure Financial Advisors, and I right. have, um, you know, a side gig that I'm teaching class, and I get a W two from the universities or state colleges. Yeah. Right, right, right. So that all goes to the IRS as well as it goes to me. Correct, and you then it's all it. under my Social Security number. That's right, right, and then they tabulate what that income is, and then I'm going to file my tax return, and let's say that my income does not match up. I would imagine a giant computer just goes through everything and yep. says, oh, this doesn't match up, and that's flagged. And then that those people that are flagged would then create the audit? 
Yeah, they, they create the audit. And nowadays, a lot of audits are just uh, in the mail. Right. Hey, yeah, you, you, it's, it's a letter. Yeah. And in fact, about 1.6 million letters go out each year. Of, of In other words- Is that the 1% still, or is that 1% is a physical audit that- No, no, that, you know, you that's, have that's Will inclusive. Smith come that's, here. Yeah, no. <laughs> Will Smith <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's everything. In other words, the person that comes to your door, or the office audit, or the letter, those are all considered audits. So most audits are actually not the in front of the dreaded IRS agent. So. See, that was the first movie reference I've made in a long time that you actually got. Yeah, right. That's it's a it's a miracle <laughs> because it had to deal with an IRS it's, agent. It's a miracle, right? <laughs> anyway, the second thing is uh, filing on paper, and most of us now file electronically. It's right. I, I don't know what the stats are ninety percent plus. But it turns out that the error rate for an electronic return is less than 1%. The error rate for a paper-filed return, a handwritten return, is about 21%. Sure. So one in five make a mistake. Yeah, math is off. Math is on whatever. the wrong line. Or... Whatever, you forgot to do this form or that, that form was wrong, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that's, so that's the, another th- that would be the second thing. And another would be guessing at numbers. And a lot of people do that, particularly when they wait to the end. Uh, you can file an extension. This year, the tax return is due April 15th, individual returns, and you have till October 15th if you extend your return to file your tax return. Bear in mind, the extension does not delay the time, the, the payment of tax. So you have to pay whatever tax you think you owe with the extension. And if you're wrong, if you underpay, you get penalized. So bear that in mind, but you don't have to actually file the return as long as you extend it by April, uh, uh, April, uh, October thirty, October fifteenth is the final date. How long but have you been a CPA? <laughs> too long, apparently. I'm mixing up my dates, but um, but that happens, Joe. Particularly when people wait till October fourteenth, it's like, well, how much did you have in meals, entertainment? Oh, I don't know, about six hundred dollars. How much did you have in telephone, cell phone for your business? Uh, about $1,600. And, and people will put those on their tax return. And do you think the IRS knows these are guesses when they're nice, round, even numbers? Right. Now, sometimes just out of pure statistical averages, sometimes you have a number that's equal. Or, yeah, but uh, I suppose it, it would have to be flagged for them to look at it first. And then they look at it and it's all round numbers. And then that's, that's right. where Will Smith comes into play. Yeah. And usually, and that's that's a good point. How these audits happen, it's it's not like there's one or two people looking at every, every single, single return. return, right? Yeah, <laughs> you got a guy with the, that visor Green on. Visor, yeah. <laughs> hey Myrtle, how many are you on? <laughs> no, it's all computers, and so the the computers check your return. It does it does a few things, probably at least three things, maybe more that I don't even know. But one thing I know it does is it checks your income and deductions versus what it knows about you. We just talked about that. W-2s, 1099s, mortgage statements. So they check and see that the numbers match. That's the first thing they check. So maybe you pass that test. The second thing they they check is, are your deductions out of line relative to your income? Like maybe your salary's $50,000 and your charitable deduction is 600,000. That looks kind of weird, right? (laughs) That's an extreme example. <laughs> just to tell you, I mean, but so it's, it's, and they have, they have these uh, average ranges for deductions and they never tell us what they are. They're super, super, super duper, secret. double, double trust. Uh, what do you call that? Uh, I don't know. Yes. 
but they're Super secret. Probation, they're double, they're, um, yeah. secret. Yeah. yeah, they're secret. And I guess the third thing that, that they do is every single year they focus on either certain industries or certain deductions or credits. And if you were an unfortunate one to have be in that industry or claim that deduction or credit, you'll have a much greater chance of being audited. All right, that's it for us. For Big Al Clopi and I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money or Wealth. Thanks a lot for listening. So to recap today's show, America's overall net worth is now $100 trillion bucks, but we hold $1.5 trillion in student loan debt, and a quarter of us skip medical treatment because we can't afford it. Is there something wrong with this picture? The big duh of the day, you might get audited if you do anything stupid or illegal on your taxes. And you'll want to retire to Mississippi if you want your money to last the longest, South Dakota if you want to be the happiest or Hawaii if you're CFO of the year. Special thanks to our live in-studio guest and if I have any say in it, future regular contributor to this podcast, Robert Farrington of thecollegeinvestor.com. Join the student loan debt movement and ditch your debt today. Visit studentloandebtmovement.com. You can subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on Apple Podcasts on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. Remember, if you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer live on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email in Info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Listen next time for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.